0: So it was just gut feeling, listen, I've achieved what I set out to do, my dream, winning the world championship. It was an absolute impossibility for me to achieve that <laughs> up until the last corner of that last race. So I really, I went like above and beyond, miles above and beyond anything that was ever going to be possible. So I won that world championship and it was a, a matter of saying, okay, listen, I've done it all. I've done it all. I've given it everything I could for so many years and more. I mean, the motivation and the focus and compromise and dedication was just insane off the charts.
1: It was green tea. It was very nice. Let's get going, shall we? Classic millennial. I know. Hello, welcome to Last on the Breaks with myself, Matt Dunn, and Fran Wild. Joining me as ever, the MotoGP Podcast. You were just listening to our guest on this week's show, Nico Rosberg, the 2016 F1 World Champion, telling us exactly what prompts a racer at the very top of their game, just having won their first World Championship, and what prompts them to decide to bow out and go chase something new completely altogether. Fran, that's one topic we're covering this week. Hello and welcome. What else are we going to be talking about with Nico this week?
2: Hello. I hope everyone caught my shocked face there as you segued so quickly from telling me about your green tea uh, into pressing record and then starting the show. Um, Hi, everyone. So one of the topics we will have quite a few chats about this week is Moto E, which we know and love as commentator in your case and pit lane reporter in mine um and sustainability electric racing all of that kind of stuff some really interesting stuff i think uh, coming from nico who's definitely turned himself into a bit of an expert on those uh, but then of course as well f1 world champion and now youtuber podcaster so many things in sort of content creation talking about focus single-mindedness maybe some transferable skills some things where he has to rein himself in interesting chat i think definitely
1: Very, very much so. And of course, yes, as a fellow podcaster, it must be a bit strange just for him to be finally at the other end of being interviewed uh, after a long while. Of course, he spent his F1 career being interviewed by everybody and wanting to know things from him all the time. Now his career is more involved around him asking the questions, but, yeah, switch that around again. And I think some unique answers in the research leading up to this. I certainly looked into whether he's talked a lot about what he's doing on YouTube and much uh, already, and he's not really said too much before, I don't think. So uh, there's some some really interesting insights from him, and, of course, everybody stick around for the end where we have the Kenwood Wickfire. <laughs> (laughs) And we're going to find out what is the toughest thing a racer has to get their head around when they're starting out on YouTube. Interesting one. Before we get going, though, Fran, once again, question of the day. Everyone, you've got to leave your answers in the YouTube comments or tweet us using hashtag MotoGP Podcast. Fran, what is the question this week?
2: Yeah, shout out to the epic answer we had on YouTube for I think last week's. That mm. it was like a good little essay there. Thank you. We love your interaction. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, so this week's is: Who on the MotoGP grid or motorcycle racer, who would you want to see start vlogging or start a podcast? It's quite a good one. What about you, Matt? I would like to see Cal Crutch start a
1: podcast, and I would also like to see Jack Miller start vlogging. I think that would be really interesting. Jack obviously loves his motocross and supercross, so I think he'd get a lot of inspiration from those guys over in the US who love a well shot with some some sick beats and uh, stuff like that in the background (laughs) of their Instagram videos. uh, I certainly do, although I made myself just seem like the most uncool person on planet Earth by doing that. Oh, God, this is the take we have to use for the intro as well, isn't it? Well, uh, who, your who image you...
2: up until this point has been just the epitome of cool so now that that's all smashed you know <laughs> well <laughs> no. uh who would you
1: like to see podcasting or vlogging let's move on quickly
2: <laughs> i i would like to see we did have a little brief chin wag about this before we started uh, recording and i stick by my podcast choice which is andrea Devizioso. Cause I'm a big fan of sort of, you know, deeper dive conversations. I think he'd have some really interesting stuff to ask different people, etc. And not just about METGP necessarily. Mm. Um, so definitely as unlikely as that may seem from his uh, sort of media persona, that would interest me a lot. And then on the vlogging it's difficult. I think there's a lot of interesting guys, but I think after our experience with Maverick Vinales, on our podcast plug i would like to see plug i would like to see maverick do a vlog because i think it would be super interesting to see him film himself uh, and talk to just the camera and have that kind of less pressure of it uh, especially given some of the things we talked about with him and you know just doesn't really enjoy that interface with the media when it's Mm. people filming him so i think it'd be interesting to see him filming him Yes. But uh, check that episode out if you haven't had a listen. Uh, I think it's a bit earlier in lockdown. So it was when uh, everything was a little bit more Thank limited, you. I think, for Thank most you, people. Sir. But they'll be fine. It's definitely, definitely good, I think.
1: Absolutely. So without further ado, let's hand over to ourselves. Nico Rosberg, if you are watching on YouTube, get ready for this backdrop Nico's got. It is fantastic. Take it away, us. Uh, Nico Rosberg, so happy to have you on the podcast. And and what's actually funny as well, it's funny talking to a fellow podcaster, someone who, even though I suppose in your career you had so many opportunities to be interviewed, you never actually did the interviewing yourself, but now I suppose you're more used to actually doing the interviewing.
0: Yeah, it's great to be here as well on this podcast. Uh, I'm a big fan of MotoGP, uh, GP Racing. It's it's always fun to watch the racing, so it's cool to be on here. And yes, for me, it's a bit unusual at the moment because... Uh, I do a lot of uh, interviewing, so being in your role, but now switching around again, although I'm doing, I mean, I'm doing both, so uh, so I'm pretty good. I'm getting used to both sides, but I really enjoy the interviewing as well. It's really fun to, like, uh, to get the best kind of answers out from from the guests. It's really fun. So let's see how you guys get on, <laughs> and if you can get the best answers out of me today.
2: Challenge accepted. Hopefully, I imagine it's quite different as well, because in, like, F1, just like MotoGP, it's quite, like, quick answers in the pen you've got to basically say the same things in your case in like four or five different languages natively for the broadcasters just okay. walk around there say the same thing and then that's kind of it but now it's interviewing is really much more a conversation isn't it so it do you kind of wish that there'd been a little bit more of that when you were the one being grilled
0: no it's okay but I really <laughs> do enjoy the way it is now that it's very conversational and And it's about having a chat. So let's see if we manage to do that as well today in a very relaxed manner. That would be fun. (laughs) Um, But no, it's it's fine. You know, it was okay back in the day uh, being grilled. I I really, of course, the media landscape is important. So I really had to learn to like maximize also that space to try and get an advantage over my opponents, even in the grilling of the media, Mm. Uh, because (laughs) if you get the right kind of answers, you can get into the head of your opponent and have a little bit of a performance advantage there, even by, by playing the media.
1: I tell you what, we'll we'll have to bring that up a little bit later on because uh, that's a whole a real fascinating topic, and and actually also I want to talk to you about some of the podcast stuff I've seen you on lately because you, you do really open up, which I'm really not used to hearing a, a race to talk about. But the um, thing, let's let's talk about first because of course uh, you have been uh, the re- part of the reason why you're here is that beautiful machine behind you. Our friends, uh, mutual friends at Energy Care, brought us together uh, for this podcast, and they've not actually they've not actually asked us to say this, but I do want to say I listened to your podcast with Livia Trevelinny. Um, which he did a few weeks ago. And just massive respect for that lady because she is such a visionary. And what I really appreciated most was her attitude to this whole pandemic situation and actually trying to do good in the world in it. Because, of course, lots of people in this time, m- many companies that we've seen and they've been called out for it, they can be getting into a bit too much wokeonomics, you know, trying to, trying to cash in on the fact that they're doing good, but they really have been doing some, some real good in this world. So shout out to them. And I'm sure you guys would agree with that. Um, but what's, what's the situation with, uh, with the bike behind you then, at, at the moment, what's, uh, what's the campaign going on? It was a pretty interesting YouTube video you updo- uploaded the other day.
0: Yeah, so for those of you who are watching this on video content, uh, please do comment what you think about the bike behind me, which is my <laughs> virtual background. I think you'll agree it looks pretty damn cool. <laughs> and so this has come out of a, <clears throat> of a content collaboration that I've done with Energica, we've done quite a lot together. Uh, again, because I have a great relationship with Livia and huge respect for her. In fact, you know that CNN recently labeled her the Elon Musk of motorbikes. Yeah. So what? how cool is that? She's really trailblazing uh, the electric high-performance motorbike space. So it's fascinating, fascinating to watch what they're doing. Um, yeah, and with Livia, we've been doing content uh, collaborations and the motorbike behind me is from our uh, first content collaboration which was a year ago Um, and it's a custom made bike which I designed myself together with them Uh, it's the Energica Ego and absolutely high performance you know I mean the acceleration performance everything is spectacular and the whole point why I have it behind me and uh, which I would like to also mention in this in this podcast is that uh, I have launched a project fundraise and it's a raffle and the biggest prize is the bike behind me so any of you listening You can go on the link uh, below, or if not, in the link in my bio on Instagram. Uh, That's the landing page of my raffle. And it only takes 5 euros to buy one single ticket, and every ticket can win you this motorbike. Uh, Of course, the more tickets you buy, the better chance you have to win the motorbike. (laughs) Uh, and we've raised 30,000 euros so far in the really? space of a couple of days. Oh and this God. thing is going to uh, run eight weeks. So we have a huge, huge target, which we're trying to get to. So all of your support is going to be helpful. And we're supporting two charities primarily. It's Italy, uh, the Italian Red Cross. It's the project Time for Kindness. And where we're going to be giving vouchers to families who are really economically also suffering uh, for medicine and food and then we're supporting another project in Germany called the uh, Projekt Nest uh, Nesttächen Next Nestwärme um, from RTL wir helfen Kinder.
2: That's very cool. I'm guessing we can't enter probably not due to the uh, constraints of the uh, <laughs> professional crossover here. But that's super oh, cool. On, so the it-
0: contrary, on the contrary, I'm certainly looking forward to your five euros as well. <laughs> okay, Please just hang on a second. <laughs> right after this chat there are no professional constraints when it comes to uh, s- s- uh helping humans out there who are suffering from coronavirus that's oh,
2: that. that's very true okay so let's talk about the bike then you said it's the an ego so it's the ego courser for those of us from the MotoGP guys who are listening that is in moto e so it's kind of the race version of that very bike behind you what do you think about it we've we've had a lot of When we first, before MotoE started, when we first had the bike at the track, and it wasn't quite the finalised version, we had a lot of people who were a bit sceptical, who were doing the sort of of lap on Sunday in front of the crowd, like the demonstration lap, getting on it like, "Mm." and as soon as they take off, it's like a different world, and coming back around just grinning ear to ear. It seems to have made a lot of people fans.
0: Of course, yes. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan myself because you already have some benefits. I mean, already the noise, if you're like in a city, uh, you still have the performance without the noise. That's very, very beneficial. And then it gives you all, all the other benefits that come, come along with it, with the electric mobility. So that's why I'm a huge ambassador for, for electric mobility. And that's why I'm, I'm loving that I can, uh, I can raffle off my electric high-performance motorbike, which is my own one. I mean, I've driven this around the Monaco Grand Prix track. You can check out my <laughs> YouTube. Um, so I'm very very proud and, and uh, yeah and so I, I love driving it. I mean I love driving it. Of course, if you compare it to now the best combustion engines, there's certain disadvantages still because the electric mobility is not quite 100% there yet. Uh, there's a little bit of disadvantage on on all the on all, tiny tiny uh, on all the main points, which is like weight, uh, performance. It's small steps still, but very very soon. And Energica already has now the next uh, version out. Which I also have driven.
1: You've been that, that ambas- in that ambassador role. I think before Moto the Moto E World Cup even started, you've had a real sort of uh, sight of the development of the bike since since the get go. What are the main sort of performance changes you found? Because I saw you, you went around Paul Ricard's circuit on it. You said you've ridden around the, the Monaco Grand Prix circuit on it. Obviously not at high speed, uh, but what are the sort of tracks have you been on? What have you sort of felt it in terms of in terms of performance, etc.
0: Actually, I did drive the Monaco Jeep circuit flat out because it was at 4.30 in the morning that I did it. <laughs> uh, so I bumped. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> okay. I
1: was like, uh. That was,
0: that was a bit of a joke there, guys. Uh, actually, I'm a big campaigner for road safety, So, uh, with, with, uh, with my partner Heineken, for example. So that would not have been a good idea. Um, no. Uh, now I, now I, forgot the, I forgot the question. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the most important area for development is the battery density. So the energy density in batteries. That's where it all comes down to for electric mobility and particularly so for motorbikes. And that is the only area where, where we still need a little bit of progress to get to par on everything with the combustion engine because the energy density is still not quite there, so the battery is still a little bit heavier than it should be. And, that's, uh, and that in the end, unfortunately, though, even someone like Energica depends very much on the battery cell manufacturers coming from China, uh, primarily, and, and, and Korea. Um, and so it's really, in the end, we're relying on them to, to progress quickly. But since now the demand for electric mobility is ramping up so quickly, that's going to help them spend more money and develop faster. So I'm really, really hopeful that the energy density is going to ramp up extremely quickly now in batteries in the next coming years
2: that that kind of stuff has always been really interesting to me because I think normally as a sort of civilian, you think of a battery and it's just made of one thing or another, and then it does X or y. Uh, it's like kind of like solar panels. Like, like I had no idea that there's so much internally that you can change and different materials that you can use to get different kind of outputs. It's really interesting though as well, how quickly it's moving, like you said. Do you think that things like Moto E and Formula E as well are really such important things in terms of testing those things, pushing them to the limit, and also giving an incentive with somewhere for sponsors to get involved as well and kind of see that on TV?
0: I think the biggest power as well for uh, someone like Formula E is to shift the consumer mindset and to make electric mobility cool. And that's really, really important because we need to create the shift in the consumer mindset because there's still certain reservations Um, And it's important to accelerate that and that's where something like Formula E comes into I'm a I'm an early stage investor into Formula E so I've been part of the journey for many many years and really proud of the success and The resonance that you get from the from the 50,000 people that are on site then at the track and they're like wow How cool is this? Uh, Just as you did mention before to the Moto e-bikes once the spectators saw them launch off. They're like whoa This is insane (laughs) Um, and It's the same there and that's the opportunity there. So consumer mind shift uh, Shifting the consumer mindset um, is is a crucial role for this electric
1: racing. It's funny because when I remember me and Fran were at the when well, I was at the were you at the first test of Moto E ever, Fran? No, it was no, I was
2: not. But I remember uh, your video that you sent of it. Yeah,
1: and it was it was absolutely <laughs> astonishing. The the first time I genuinely didn't know what to expect, like uh, what uh, what to expect of how they were going to ride. No, but nobody knew really. I mean, apart from obviously the energy themselves, the riders weren't sure what the riding style should be. You know, is it going to be a more so get into the corner, make it into a V, stand up and use the fat part of the tyre? But actually, as it turned out, sort of it had some incredible uh, corner speed, which is why we saw lots of Moto2 guys doing so well in its first year. But the the coolest thing about it was the, the difference in noises coming off the bike as the riders are going past. You have the whirring of the the clicking and the whirring of the chain. The, you can actually hear... The tyre being sort of shredded, basically, which was one of the coolest things. And then also, and as you mentioned with the consumer mindset part, one of the coolest things that happened last year, the thing that really changed, I think, a lot of people's mindsets was uh, down, I think it's turn seven at the Saxon ring. There's this long downhill left-hander. And Eric Granado, there was a beautiful slow-mo shot of him just lighting up the rear and there was blue smoke billowing off that rear tyre. and in, And instantly that had all... The sort of the generation who were like, I like five hundred two-strokes, or I like no traction control on my MotoGP bikes. All those guys went, "Huh, that's smoking the rear tire like a five hundred two-stroke did—that's really, <laughs> really cool." And uh, that sort of thing is the the performance being the same, as you yeah. say, is 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 the number one aspect that's going to convince a lot of consumers. is the way to go, and I think, yeah, yeah. MotoE last year—I mean, just super, super exciting.
0: Yeah, not only performance, price also. Unfortunately, uh-huh. uh, yeah. price is is just as crucial. Um, and we're we're really, really close now. I mean, Energica with their latest ego, it's getting really close. So uh, so we're really getting there, which is exciting and great for, for Livia and her company as well.
2: It's even more impressive as well, considering they're such a small company. And usually kind of price and that kind of stuff will come down with scale. Yeah. But they're still like just kind of a, not a small company like me starting something in my garage. But definitely it's such a committed group of people within that company company who've really put in so much to get to where they are now yeah. so yeah it's an impressive impressive thing
0: let me just add though i mean comparing formula one it's yeah. not they don't they don't conflict formula one is one thing formula e is another thing i will forever be the biggest formula one fan uh i just love it i love the sport um and formula one is the gladiator it's the you know it's the high performance entertainment business but also there we mustn't underestimate The the, the race-to-road transfer technology that's happened in Formula 1 has been really, uh, I mean, um, huge. If you look at the hybrid engines, the hybrid technology has been developed in Formula 1, and hybrid engines are the most efficient engines in the world today, more efficient than electric engines. Um, And so there's huge merit there.
1: Awesome. Awesome, yeah, that's really cool. I didn't realise that. Yeah, the the sort of family feel of Formula E, even, and actually that's something which resonates even with Moto E as well. Like okay, it's a it's a different setup. It's not separate. You know, if if Formula E was under the Formula One umbrella, that's a sort of situation that we've got with Moto E and, uh, and MotoGP. Moto GP. But even them, themselves the sort of exposure to the uh, to the whole e mobility side of it. We've got the e paddock set up. Depending on the race circuit we go to and and the uh, logistics side, it's actually of uh, not inside the paddock confines where fans have to have a special ticket to gain access. They most of the fans can actually see it in the sort of uh, kind of fan area. They can get up close to the riders because they're hanging out there. The teams they can yeah. see the bikes pretty up close, and it just exposing them to that has been super super fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. That's the, that's the point. The, the spectators just love it
1: i've got to say listen to you over the last the sort of five minutes i'm really it was something that struck me is that how knowledgeable you are straight off the top of your, your head about all these things but the, the the thing that makes me makes me wonder though is during your career as an f1 driver where you have to be so solely focused on that we have you just become aware of all these things learning about this taken as such a keen interest in it since your career or is it have you always been interested in doing background reading part of your sort of downtime i guess
0: Uh, Personal development has always been a huge uh, topic of mine, but I had no clue about anything apart from winning the next race when I was a Formula One (laughs) driver. That's what
1: I thought. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, it's brilliant. Focus
0: and simplicity was a key ingredient of me winning the World Championship. I did 10 years of psychological studies uh, really intensely, I mean, really with a a psychologist and a philosopher, um, and focus and simplicity, absolute key, not only to well-being, but also to human performance. And I, when I was on my way to my world championship, I shut off everything. Mm. I didn't have emails anymore, I didn't read the news anymore, I didn't have social media, I didn't have anything. And if I could now show you my telephone, if I can find it somewhere, I can't. <laughs> um, oh, I can wait, hang on, I'm
1: coming back. I'm coming. <laughs> we'll just enjoy the image <laughs> of the bike.
0: <laughs> a ritual, simplicity, I'm back, don't worry, I was only, I was only gone for a while. Um, that's my phone at the moment. Oops, that's my phone at the moment. What, so I'm, what I'm is even, that? I'm even gone from I'm gone from smartphones for uh, wow. for well-being and human performance. And trust me, it works. Smartphones are an absolute killer. Um, and yeah, so that's a, and then now you ask me to the next part, which is why did I become so passionate about sustainability as a as an entrepreneur? And again, it comes from the psychological studies. That from there, a very key ingredient and a key learning is that a life of service is the, is the way to go for the long term, for me as a, as a person. And to dedicate more and more time to that path, um, because not only you do good for others, but in the end, it's also doing best for yourself, uh, for your own well-being, to live a life of service and to spend a large amount of time towards that direction. And more importantly now, I have two young daughters. They're two and four years old. Um, and I, it's in my purpose. I want to inspire them, and I want to inspire them to a life of service as well. Uh, that's like my most important thing and I think uh, the environmental threat is going to be one of the greatest topics also in their generation and if I can put if I can have uh, a success as an entrepreneur in that space and leave a legacy which they can be proud of which I can inspire them for that would be so damn awesome so that gives me energy every single day
1: I want to ask that point though because it's racing's well actually see if you agree with this racing seems to be quite a selfish endeavor right uh, could say that. yes, in, in... it's quite
0: filled with egomaniacs.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> so how does someone go from a very selfish endeavour, you have to give everything to it, as you mentioned, to suddenly very altruistic like that, like thinking of how can I do more things for other people all the time? How, how does that work?
0: Yeah, okay, let's not exaggerate. Racing alone, you can't achieve anything in racing. Yeah, for sure. You, have to, you can only win as a team. Mm. And so it's probably not right to say that it's so egomaniac-based because as a formula 1 driver if i if i didn't have the it put the importance on getting the support of my whole team and wishing them to be involved in in our joint success and wishing them good uh, and all the fans and everybody who was supporting me then uh, then i wouldn't have been world champion so it, it is in the end even though we're alone in the car or on the bike it's still a huge team sport and the fans matter as well so it's it's still a it's still a joint effort and Anyways, nevertheless, yes, this life of service is not something that I was inspired to massively as a, as a young boy. Um, so it's really, it's, it's, I'm driving myself as well, and I'm consciously driving myself. It doesn't all come naturally to me. I'm pushing myself in that direction because that's where I want to get to, and I want to find inspiration, and I want to make progress in that area. So it's a step-by-step journey that I'm taking, and, uh, and I've been making awesome progress because as an entrepreneur, I think I've made in the, in the last couple of years huge leaps, uh, which I'm very proud of, and I want to keep going
2: really tell that's cool okay let's talk about entrepreneurship then a little bit and from the end of your f1 career to what you're doing now first off we have to touch on a little bit your retirement which was a pretty sudden sort of bowing out on top just as soon as you won that championship talk to us a little bit about that because like you said there's quite two different mindsets although you win in a team and then afterwards this idea of the life of service what was kind of the switch that flicked for you that really made that decision?
0: Okay, so there's not one way to do it. You have the Valentino Rossi example, which I totally respect. I mean, he's he's uh, as long as he's not out there just because he's uh, he I don't know he, he doesn't want to uh, he's scared to stop or whatever. As long as he's out there because he really just loves it and wants to continue the fun. So it was just gut feeling. Listen, I've achieved what I set out to do. My dream, winning the world championship. It was an absolute impossibility for me to achieve that (laughs) up until the last corner of Mm -hmm. that last race. So I really, I went like above and beyond, miles above and beyond anything that was ever going to be possible. So I won that world championship and it was a, a matter of saying, okay, listen, I've done it all. I've done it all. I've given it everything I could for so many years and more. I mean, the motivation and the focus and compromise and dedication was just insane off the charts. It was the perfect moment to say, hey. Thank you so much for everything, I'm taking the exit here. um, Because I think also, going out on the highest point, it just carries you for the rest of your life, and I'm living that now. That it's still carrying me now with positivity, that my last memory was the most beautiful. And it forever will, forever will, that it's just the highest point, thank you very much, just feels great. And that was the reason also for doing it, thinking about the rest of my life, and thinking about the feeling that it might uh, uh, give me for the rest of my life, and it's this feeling of fulfillment, which I've kept. That's that's worth so much.
1: I don't want to carry on the conversation about the retirement thing for too long because it's we don't like to ask people things which they can read the answers to everywhere. But I think it's important for some of the uh, GP audience who might not have paid so much attention uh, to your uh, to your career and and how it finished. What was the timeline of you deciding uh, to to finish? Because I guess some of the only things similar that we've had to that in our sport for for quite some years would have been Casey Stoner back in 2012 announcing whilst he was reigning champion, "Yeah, I'm not coming back uh, anymore." Um, and then also Jorge Lorenzo at the end of last year. Okay, he had a, a pretty dire year, Didn't wasn't able to gel with the Honda. But as was seen when he was testing for Yamaha at the start of this year, the guy still had the pace. And if he did wild cards, he'd be a contender for the podium in the win. So technically he, in a way, bowed out kind of still at a near top of his game. But what was the timeline for you deciding, like, I'm out, guys, cheers. Was it that last corner when you won the championship?
0: No, <laughs> no. So the timeline was uh, four races to the end when I had the huge championship lead. No. There, the feeling came that, okay, if I do win this thing, then I'm out. Because cool. uh, the perfect moment. But but one thing is thinking it. The second thing is doing it, which is scary as hell. I mean, it's <laughs> scary as hell to leap. It's like if you guys suddenly tomorrow decide, okay, I'm just quitting my job without knowing what's coming next. You can imagine that's going to be pretty scary. So yeah. I no clue know what's coming next. Um, and so, But I just went for it. I went for it. I took the courage because being courageous also in my life is something that's important to me. Um, just going for things and and not thinking too much and just, you know, committing. So I went for it. I went for it and uh, no regrets because it's been awesome since.
2: That's cool. Yeah, I think it's something we've talked about a little bit with a couple of other guests as well that it's like single-minded focus can be such a positive thing and they look around and they see people around them in their lives who maybe haven't quite had that and haven't got that kind of guiding principle but it seems you had that even to the point of saying, "Okay, now I'm going to make it something different. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. And I like as well the legacy thing, because this is such a common conversation, especially on the Internet with people like, oh, no, you shouldn't race on because you're not winning anymore. Oh, you should do this. At the end of the day, like for someone, if you want to do that and bow out on top and you know that's for you, then that's great. But I don't really understand the attitude sometimes of other people being like, "No, you shouldn't do your favourite thing anymore because yeah. you're ruining your percentages." There's
1: both,
0: views. <laughs> like... There's both views. There has to be both views, and and one needs to have empathy for both sides.
1: But legacy for me comes in two different ways. Legacy comes in terms of your results. You know whether you could be statistically called the greatest of all time. It's something actually an upcoming guest of ours. We interviewed the the greatest of all time, the most decorated downhill mountain bike racer of all time, Greg Minna. That's going to be a, the episode after this. And 2010, Rossi had his first big accident where he first missed proper, proper race. He broke his femur or his leg and, and whatnot. And actually, interesting watching it last night, not in the lead up to this interview, just out of genuine pleasure, um, there were, the journalists back then were saying, hey, this is, this is probably the moment Rossi goes. This is probably the moment he retires. 2010, yeah, 2010, because he broke his leg and he had his first big injury. Oh, and really? that was that was super fascinating to hear people that. And actually, it, even then, think there's a couple of things that just sort of stuck in my mind. Then imagine staying in 2010 when Rossi just broke his leg in that free practice session at Magello, He would still be here in 2020 and potentially, seemingly signing for another contract deal in 2021 as well. Eleven years later, when they were already saying he's at the end of his. I mean, I've got to say that is pretty remarkable. And it's, it goes so, and like you said earlier, with the, how interesting it is the difference between races' attitudes to what they want and what gives them satisfaction. Clearly, yeah. his satisfaction is managed to span that 11 years, but yours is complete satisfaction of being able to go, guys, I'm world champion, I'm on top, no one beat me, see you later, I'm off to go do my own thing. Is that, is that fair?
0: But it's also satisfaction for the rest of my life. Yeah, if Yeah, I, right. If I bow out at the back of the grid where the young guys are destroying me, it will it's a memory that will that will remain for me somehow for the rest of my my life and this way now i was the fastest guy when i went out and it, it's you know it's like it's it still carries me as i said with this fulfillment and and with being proud and everything and it will it's just a i mean it's so great for for the next 50 years you know it's so powerful this the sport thing mm. and therefore for, for me that's a bit personal though, I mean, I understand that all my fans were super sad, and I'm really sorry for that, but uh, I don't know, there's no right way or wrong, I don't think.
2: That's true. Yeah, that was super interesting. Well, so, if we've covered that then, you've bowed out on top, where does then the decision come from to go into YouTube and all of these kind of things, open yourself up so completely to a completely different world, really? You've done some stuff on TV as well. You've got YouTube, you've got podcasts, you're an entrepreneur, all of this stuff. Where did that come from?
0: Well, if I want to have success as a sustainability entrepreneur, which I would consider myself now, the greater my audience, the greater, the more people I can take along on the journey, the more impact I will have and the more successful my entrepreneurial uh, uh, activities will be. So that's really that's uh, adding one and one and one, you know, I mean, that, that's pretty simple. And so it was a big of great importance to me to build my, my following on social media, my reach, and take more, more of you maybe listening now as well along on my journey as a sustainability entrepreneur. And, uh, and YouTube was the obvious one. YouTube, I love doing YouTube. It's really fun. Uh, it's exciting. It's a very, very big challenge as well. It's not easy to create engaging videos like longer form content. Um, and then also podcasting, which also, which my podcast also runs on YouTube, but it's a great platform to where which it's an, it's an engagement enhancer because people who engage in YouTube are not the people on Instagram who are just flicking through on YouTube. It's a decision to, wow, I want to spend minutes with this content now and with this person and with Nico and his activities. So it's a very, very different and much higher form of engagement. that's why I believe strongly in YouTube and was very committed to doing it. Until Corona came around and has made it all a bit more difficult.
1: <laughs> or, or, or easier in some ways because a lot more people are more available to do your podcast, as we found. <laughs> um, it's interesting. So, uh, a little backstory for you. My uh, most interesting topic for me to discuss with you is actually the YouTube part because apart from doing podcasting, I've been working on the MotoGP social media team for some years. And so, social media for me is, is just endlessly fascinating. So, well, I've got loads of conf- uh, questions I would want to ask you about that. I can't ask them all, obviously. Fran is a big F1 fan and so has obviously known you for many years as well. But for me, with YouTube, knowing as a a very casual F1 fan, having heard of you before, if you lined up all those drivers in the 2016 F1 grid and said, right, for next year, one of these guys is going to be basically a full-time YouTuber. uh, I can't say I would have picked you out, Nico. But you've done it so well. And listening to you speak already, you've become such a... Well, I, I didn't listen to many great interviews with you before, but you're so clear and concise in your communication is that something you've picked up or where you completely had all your research done with YouTube, you knew about communication and storytelling, you were like, I'm ready to go, let's dive in. Or did you, has it been a learning process still all, all along the way?
0: No, well, first of all, not full-time YouTube. Huh? It no, no, is, but no, like uh, it's, it's as part it's, of your endeavors. Considerable amount of time on, on YouTube and social media because I enjoy it as well. And, uh, and then communication, um, first of all, it, it does come naturally to me because I've had to do so much now along all these years. And I just, I love to interact with the camera in that sense and to try and, try and bring people into the content that I'm creating. Um, but at the same time, yes, of course, also did some research. I, I follow all the great YouTubers and I, I read about storytelling. So I know I know the basic forms of storytelling and all these things that you need to try and get to um, to make uh, videos more interesting and to make content more interesting. Because again, if you don't have, if you're just broadcasting and your content is boring, then your impact is just not going to be there either. You have to create engaging and, and interactive content to, in order to have impact. And uh, as an entrepreneur, um, I value all of my activities in terms of money that I can make and impact that I can generate. And if it's only money without impact, I won't do it. So impact is fundamental, and uh, you've got to be good at social media to get impact going.
1: So who decided your, your sort of tone of voice and, and your on-brand on when it comes to YouTube as well? Because especially lots of your films now, they're always very good from the very beginning. But I feel there's a slight difference now between how it is in 2020 compared to how it was in, in 2017 and whatnot. What, who's who's decided all that then? You from all your research? Or have you, some of your lovely videographers, etc. come in and said, well, I think we should do this?
0: No, so I have a team of 18 people now in, uh, in Monaco. 18? Um, yeah, yeah. We, oh my God. Well, for, I, I have alone like 25... <laughs> In the mobility space, in the startup world, so they need to be supported. Uh, then we have all my brand. I have uh, you know many brand partners as well that that I do campaigns with, uh, like Rolex, Heineken, uh, and uh, some examples like that. Um, so they need that needs to be managed. Those relationships, and then the whole social media platform needs to be managed. And we have a, you know, we, we build up a strategy and a clear strategy and, and try and stick to it. Because, again, focus, as we said before, in anything you do is important. If you start shooting left, right and center, nobody's going to be able to follow it at you anymore and you're not going to be able to have impact. So you need to be focused on your on your topics and on your path to take people along so that you you get, win their trust as well. So that people know when they click on your stuff, it's going to be as to their expectation. You know, you need to win their trust and, and that's important as well. So we're... we're trying to very much stick to a a certain strategy.
2: So it sounds like then you've changed a lot of your mindset in terms of this life of service idea since you left F1, but you've also kept a lot of the things that brought you to the world championship as well and that single-minded kind of focus. Do you think that's almost just inevitable if you're the kind of person that is a racing driver and and can win a world championship? It's just hardwired in you to be like, okay, next task. And then just go at it until it's done.
0: It doesn't come naturally to me though. I'm completely,
2: okay.
0: I'm completely addictive. So it requires a big fight from me every single day. <laughs> because uh, if I, if I, if tomorrow you give me a smartphone again, I'll be on it probably nine hours a day tomorrow. And just, <laughs> just rotating like an idiot between, between WhatsApp and Instagram and back to email. I just rotate and waste time. So I'm super, super addictive, uh, and I always need to keep myself in check and discipline myself. So it's a constant fight that I'm fighting and that also comes to my business where i always run ahead too fast i'm executing 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 but i i often lack in the whole planning uh, planning side so also that is requiring a lot of discipline and trying to work with my team to uh, to do good in that area as well and to get more planned uh, ahead of time rather than running too fast and executing so the strength from formula one which is all about executing has also sometimes <laughs> it's a weakness you've got to find a balance
1: it works on youtube well because the execution actually getting the video done and everything is is often so much better than you know agonizing like oh could this could this be better can we do this editing a little bit better a little bit better i mean you know there's a certain standard that you have to uphold i'm sure yeah, but
0: yeah.
1: that sort of executing definitely works oh, well for that busy.
0: On social media, authenticity is also important, and that's important on YouTube. It's better to have a sometimes to have a low quality. Hey, follow me around because it's just people are with you, and it's so real. Rather than a high quality uh, broadcast content, it's very often to get a personal one is the is the better one. So uh,
1: right, I I've got to ask you right because I actually, do you know I don't think I've seen many interviews you, with you talking about your your actual YouTube and podcasting side. But it's, uh, I'm really passionate about a lot of these young MotoGP, Moto two, Moto three riders. Trying to be better communicators online, and trying to do you know YouTube videos and everything like that. What do you think is sort of the best course of action for some of these uh, young racers out there? Should they be putting that more of their lives out there, more authentically there, than trying to you know taking the perfect Instagram shot and trying to be something that they're not on Instagram to try and you know get a few more people to slide in their DMs? There's things
0: that unfortunately, unfortunately for them as well. It's, it's come to the point now where social media following is also a value uh, that a driver brings to a team and, and therefore you just can't afford to neglect it, neglect it anymore because it might even come to the point that if you have two million more followers and a team is choosing from between one and the other and the other guy doesn't have any social media, they might really end up taking you because you just add so much value for the sponsors and all that. And that's really unfortunate but that's, to, that's the point where we've come to now. So everybody has to take it seriously from that point of view. but. Um, More importantly though the approach on social media for all those guys if I could recommend something is to think about adding value to their followers and having that as a core. So how do I add value to the followers that might be in an aspirational way uh, and show them how I am now with dedication making my way through up the ladder to achieve my dream of becoming MotoGP rider Uh, and that might inspire uh, everybody who's following to also do that in their own paths so of in the office or at work or as a sports person so you can have that kind of social media approach or you can be an entertaining, entertaining channel where you're doing comedy or whatever around your path in, in racing and so you give a light hearted time for people to switch off We're following you and, and just have a good time and you give them well being and fun. So there's different ways of adding value. And I think that needs to be at the basis for everybody who's thinking about doing social media more and more, all the young up-and-coming riders, uh, to just think of that as a basis and find your own way and, and make sure it fits well to, to who you are as well.
1: I'm going to cut this in and out and send that to all our riders. Just, just like that there. <laughs> Get on it, guys. Come on.
2: It is This kind of stuff is really interesting, though, especially when you have like some of the biggest sponsors in most sports at the moment are energy drinks. And their brands typically are very different to something in a display cabinet sat behind someone. Mm -hmm. And yet so many people seem to take that approach to like, oh, well, I need to give this brand this kind of exposure. And it's like, but this brand is like, you know, bombing down a hill on a mountain bike as fast as you possibly can, filming it incredibly well, editing it together it seems sometimes there's also just people don't take those opportunities and think more creatively.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, that's a that's a problem. That's a challenge. That's that makes it more difficult. Um, but nevertheless, I would still encourage people to go their own path, to go their own path and not try and mold into something something which is overcrowded as well. Anyways, where everybody goes and uh, and maybe find your own direction, your own niche where you're really passionate about and but. Where you're really able to add value to people who are are, are following you and to their lives, I think that's uh, that's crucial. Huh?
1: I think I want to ask you a couple more things on the uh, on, on some comparisons between sort of F1s. Your perspective as a racer, but before I do that, what advice would you have for myself and Fran as humble little podcasters? How do you make a podcast a lot better? <laughs> How do you get to the point where you have like guys like Lewis Howes on your on your show and things like that?
0: I'm not really the best example because I'm I'm you did my, myself. Well. I'm, yeah, but I'm still on the path as well of finding of finding finding my direction. Um, nevertheless, the personal touch is crucial. So how do I get someone like Lewis houses? Because I ride him myself uh, and and meet him. Uh, then he I invited him to the race in in Austin, so I met him um and it's really the personal touch and i think that makes a big difference i got michael douglas on the show because mm-hmm. i reached out to him personally and i said hey michael i know you're a formula one fan hey please uh, can you join in it would be so lovely to get the the insights from your life and and add value to the listeners so the the personal touch is crucial and that can make a that can go a long way and, cool. that also- and hustle don't give up <laughs> like if <laughs> just asking another three more times and find find the best possible ways of adding value to that potential guest to his endeavors to his projects to his life uh whatever so really uh, uh make clear how you with your podcast if he comes as a guest on your podcast you're going to add value to whatever he uh, is requiring or his life or whatever and keep reaching out
1: sounds like you're gonna have That's gary cool. v on your podcast fairly soon to be honest <laughs> no we've been in
0: touch uh, with him yes really? but uh, but yeah but uh, well, let's see in the next couple of uh, months or years
2: maybe that's cool. I'm fairly sure Matt would listen to that maybe 23, 24 times a day, uh, <laughs> if you had Gary V on there. <laughs> that's true.
1: That's true. Um, well, no. Let's, let's uh, so I want to just touch on, on a couple uh, on a couple of things before uh, before we switch over to the final quick fire round. Um, but uh, we wanted to, to talk about uh, dealing with racing alongside and being in very close proximity in the same garage as some of the most successful drivers of all time. You mentioned earlier, of course, you were teammates with Michael Schumacher and, of course, teammates with Lewis back in 2016. Um, the thing which sort of we're curious to ask you about is that mental pressure and dealing with that. I suppose a lot of what we've said already comes under sort of dealing with that, but what, you know, can we talk specifically about that part or how was how was that?
0: Uh, yeah, best example. So, um, uh, you know, I, I had not even won a race when Michael Schumacher came into the team. So I had zero race wins, I was nobody, and Michael Schumacher was the greatest of all time. So you can see there's a little bit of a, little bit of a, uh, like, a disbalance there. Uh, <laughs> and so he also commanded the total support, the respect from his team, and I still had to build it. And we had a strategy meeting um, before the race. And the, the, the strategist of that day um, then addressed Michael Schumacher for his strategy, and then addressed Michael Schumacher as well for my strategy, <laughs> although, <I'm, laughs> although I was sitting there. I'm, I'm exaggerating. Of course, I did get the occasional glance, but more and more, like, <laughs> definitely, largely the attention was addressed towards Michael, even for my strategy. And that was painful for me, like, like, come on, well, what's going on here? Like, I'm even the guy who's further up the grid, and I don't get the necessary attention here. And and, and somehow, like, that's, it seems like a bit of a lack of respect to me. Um, and, uh, and that's the kind of like a little bit of a struggle that I had to face. Um, and what I went did there in that in that sense was I, I mentioned my my um, my feelings to this to this person. I told him that you know I really deserve to have the same amount of attention as my teammate, and uh, so could you please look to do that in future and not give all, get all the attention to Michael. So I really showed him that it was hurting me and that I, that I didn't like it. And so I was quite, you know, vu- I showed my vulnerability in the end. First, and first, I think first, that's first. important to communicate and show your vulnerability. There's a lot of power in that. So even though it seems like a weakness in the first moment, long term, it's a strength. Uh, it really is a big, big strength. And then the next meeting, boom. I, I think I almost got more attention than Michael in the next meeting. Because <laughs> the person really took it on board and I'm, I'm really thankful for that. I took it on board and, and adjusted, you know, accordingly um and so that's an example that i of the uphill struggle that i faced facing uh schumacher and then hamilton team internally but i've always been a fighter so i always take on such challenges because also in challenges is where you learn most and in setbacks is where you learn most uh, because that's where you can really rise above and and gain extra motivation which normally you wouldn't have Uh, and it's thanks to those two guys that i became world champion world champion as well i wouldn't be otherwise because they pushed me to new levels new boundaries Um, And I found motivation like mad to beat those guys. So, uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's powerful.
2: That's pretty interesting as like two things there. one is that people's perceptions of you can change so much of a situation. So even just saying like, no, I'm not going to sit here and take 30% of your attention, please. That can also make them think. (laughs) not that you're bitter about it (laughs) um so but if you say like hey i've noticed this it's not cool that's almost just kind of reminds them that yeah it's not just michael schumacher in this team and there's like somebody else here who actually yeah is out racing him the majority of the time but then also it's interesting what you say as well with like the kind of mentality of setbacks and overcoming that and that making you who you are so it's kind of a strange balance between showing the vulnerability creating a strength from it and then also just yeah I guess that focus again and just keeping going and keeping going
1: yeah how are you guys with focus uh don't really have much choice in this time we've been incredibly busy to be fair <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've had a coronavirus well like Bessie's off would be the last three months has just for us has been flat out because the mm-hmm. only way you're going to still uh, actually provide value to to sponsors and, and actually a company make money is through the content you know yeah. and and so we've just been we've been doing a podcast every week i've been doing instagram lives with different people fran's been announcing race cancellation after race cancellation oh, and, I, then, and then yeah. announcements right so
2: what's it <laughs> been like for you Fran? Uh, yeah for me i tend to be very very good at being very focused if there is enough stress in the situation <laughs> so it's like once I'm really sure that it's necessary then I'm like absolutely a machine but getting to that point I can find quite painful and I am quite guilty of definitely too much just like oh well just look at this oh just look at this and then past a certain point you're like okay hey, come on let's do this let's let's get in gear
0: okay so the friend needs stress
1: I,
2: apparently yeah
1: <laughs> no but it's, it's funny because it, it's it's funny when you feel like you don't have a choice in a situation like because when it's just you you've got i write a to-do list every day i actually uh i actually even spend time on a sunday night i write down every single thing which at that present moment i have to do that week and i set it on a on apple notes and i have monday Tuesday, wednesday thursday friday and wow. then the night before each day i actually set out the rough times to do it a little disclaimer i'm not some kind of freak here i don't follow it to a t actually quite a lot of the time those times get moved back half an hour or maybe even an hour or maybe even two or maybe i just think stuff it and i actually don't do it that time but (laughs) that's how i try and oblige myself to actually get those things done and fortunately unfortunately in this situation the last 12 weeks or so we have just been so flat out that it's like there's no option for you not to do this stuff so just crack on, you know, and, and I find that I work best in in that situation. I guess. Well, it's it's not similar to an F1 driver and how they just have to get on and actually race as best as possible. But I guess I guess that sort of kind of mindset is you can relate to that. No,
0: Fran, you look a bit impressed there by, by <laughs> to do schedule every Sunday. Well, I am I'm, myself actually.
2: I'm impressed, but I don't I because I don't do that at all. <laughs> Everything for me is a list in my head. So I'd say most of the time, if something new arrives, it's immediately put into some place in the list. And then I think through, because I'm a big advocate as well of like, okay, so this task may be slightly more important than another. But at the moment, I'm not going to do the best job of it. So I'm going to do this thing that's a little bit more fun. I know it'll be quick and easy. I'll get it done. And then you know you're going to do a better job of the other. So I'm constantly like this, like some sort of kind of graphics going across the screen of my life, (laughs) figuring out what I'm going to do next and why. So fixed lists for me would be a bit of a nightmare, to be honest.
1: I don't know. I recommend it. To be fair, it it does. It certainly helps.
2: Not knocking it for you. Yeah, yeah. it it helps me not (laughs) forget things. We also um, we also live together in Spain when we're at home in Barcelona. We're flatmates. So as long as this does not start encroaching upon my life too, then that's great. I will support you. <laughs> uh,
0: that was a warning, Matt, but believe me. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny, actually, actually I just realised, actually, probably a lot of the listeners don't actually know that, that like, because we work for Dorna, and uh, that's based in um, in southern Barcelona, we actually, me and Fran live lived together since we both sort of got employed there, just because it's easier, like, you know that someone's not going to kill you and uh when you <laughs> share in a house
2: that, um, that famous really high risk in most of western but, europe <laughs> Yeah,
1: you know I mean. so it's like yeah but uh, yeah so um yeah we, we live together for some years now and, and work together and it's, it helps with it certainly helps with the podcast and sort of when you put two hosts together with sort of instant report i guess doesn't it yeah so <laughs> hey let's uh let's do the the quick quickfire because i just realized we've had you for nearly an hour now nico uh, apologies for to taking you out of your busy schedule
0: No, you don't understand what you've made me mess up now because I had like, I had the last half hour, I had like really crucial things. So I've been like on the edge of my seat here, but <laughs> you're you are, you are my absolute priority. As long as you put my raffle back in now. So if everybody's, whoever is still listening now, first of all, respect that you're still on on this <laughs> one one hour five in. Behind me, if you see virtually, I have my Electrica, uh no, Energica Ego, high-performance electric motorbike. You can win it, link and buy <laughs> on my Instagram. Link and buy on my Instagram. Go now and buy tickets, please. Every Euro goes to a good cause. Fran and Matt, you're gonna do this right. I'm gonna the- genuinely do this. And then maybe we're gonna see you, Fran, riding my energica ego motorbike through the south of Barcelona. Very, very <laughs> <through> <laughs> the- All expenses paid trip to
1: Monaco sounds good to me. Oh uh- yeah,
0: <laughs> by the way, you're also gonna win a, a. I'm flying you. Flying you is not a good point. Good thing to say. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm bringing you into Monaco uh, for a night there where we're gonna be hanging out. Uh, so Fran, maybe we'll be having dinner in Monaco as well, and you can ride around Monaco with my electric motorbike. If you
2: buy
1: some tickets to my raffle right now.
2: Perfect. Guys, it's awesome obviously worth it come on let's go yeah like, like and subscribe
1: to Nico as well I've got to say uh, we got we had to get that beforehand right let's let's move on let's the uh, final thing there the Kenwood quickfire so big thanks to, to Kenwood they supply walkie talkies and apparently they do lots of other things as well like make kettles um so I feel like
2: walkie talkie is not quite the branding that they've established well,
1: uh, <laughs> the community yeah the communication method in the MotoGP paddock um but yeah, uh, the- I,
2: I, they must
0: also buy tickets now since you've mentioned them in the podcast huh? okay
2: yeah. I didn't I realize this is quite such a devil's bargain but the more the merrier <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so it's kind of a quick fire it's not too serious it's not like an actual quiz whether there's a right answer or not it's just relatively quick answers you can ramble on a little bit if you like but uh, the first question which we always have Nico rosberg coffee or tea uh, tea oh.
2: if you could ride your motorcycle anywhere in the world so place or a track where would you choose
0: uh, it would be Place and it would be Tuscany. Ah, good, Solid choice.
1: Okay, same question, but in an F1 car.
0: Uh, F1 car would be Monaco ah. and the Monaco GP circuit on a Monaco Grand Prix weekend.
2: <laughs> I was going to say a little bit less choice with an F1 car since you can't really go on a driving holiday around Tuscany. <laughs> that is true, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what about your toughest rival?
0: Uh, Lewis Hamilton, that's an easy one.
2: Uh, Your favorite TV,
1: Netflix, Amazon, whatever series?
0: Uh, Michael Jordan just recently.
2: Okay. Uh, The person you learned the most from in driving?
0: Um, Maybe even Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher.
2: Okay. Is your dad going to be mad about that answer?
0: No. (laughs) He was never able to teach me that much because I don't know if... For all of you who are uh, working in the same space as your dad or something, it's sometimes a bit difficult to take to take the, uh, the guidance from them. So I kind of shut down every time he was trying to give me instructions.
1: I heard you talk about that on a previous podcast. Uh, what's a hidden gem in Monaco that tourists won't know about?
0: Uh, oh, my goodness. Um... Oh come on, that's not fair! Um, no, I need to come back to it. Okay, okay, we'll come, okay we'll, we'll come back to that.
2: We'll come back to that. What about the your favorite interviewee on your podcast? Who's the favorite person you've talked to?
0: Our hidden gem is the three hundred SL gullwing in my garage. Okay, it's locked. It's locked, so tourists won't be able to. I was it.
2: gonna say, I'm not sure how accessible that is for tourists. <laughs> but fair, fair. But fair. <laughs>
1: they definitely don't know about it.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. So, who's your favorite person that you've interviewed on your podcast? or maybe just the best interview not necessarily the person
0: um person would be oh my goodness um i would go for well let's go for on this occasion now we go for Toto Wolff who's my ex team boss on uh, on uh, at the Mercedes gp team Good it was experience. just a nice nice casual chat this is a rat or, or no or go for daniel Ricciardo as well that was funny as hell <laughs> um,
1: class uh what's the biggest thing you had to get your head around when you started vlogging
0: um do not waffle on and to be uh, more concise and i hope now people will, will not say well what the hell were you doing today in this podcast then you're waffling way too much <laughs> i
2: I'm, I'm guilty of this on many occasions and not, most of what i do is writing and I'm now a big champion of the idea that if you have needed to use 500 extra words, you've not done it quite as well as you could have. I've yet to learn the skill of that in talking. Well, the,
0: attention, the attention span of all of us is uh, is going down every single day. So <laughs> we, have to hook, we have to hook people with the first three seconds and then uh, try and keep them keep them in there after.
2: That's definitely true. <laughs> um, what is the thing you miss the most about racing, if there is something Champions that's still...
0: <laughs> and partying with the team and best friends right afterwards
1: oh. okay final one then uh, and then we do have one small request one piece of advice for young racers that goes for two and four wheels
0: um, uh, just, uh, just the need for focus and dedication um, and hustle hustle I would say is the big one just keep hustling like hell because um, there's a huge power
1: in that Perfect. That's well, cool. Thank you very much.
2: So, hope you enjoyed that chat and got a few things from it. Let us know on YouTube in the comments below, wherever you are on social media, in whatever comment section, replies, DMs, even. You know, if you've got some serious stuff to get off your chest, let us bold, know.
1: Bold uh, inviting them into always, the DMs.
2: Yeah, just slide in there. now we're, we're eager to uh, talk to you guys and hear your feedback keep it kind, please. Uh, But so we usually have a couple of things we want to recommend you to go and watch. This week, I think 2014 Bahrain Grand Prix, Hamilton versus Rosberg, that's a good little taste of the kind of, that little almost mini era of Formula One uh, that Nico was involved in. Him bowing out on top, 2016 Abu Dhabi when he uh, left the sport and won the championship. Then Moto E, you've got to see the bit that Matt gave a shout-out to, which is Eric Granado, Turn 7, Zaxson Ring. Also, the races in Valencia last year were great yeah, as well, right down to the final corner, more than just a couple of moments. If you've not seen a Moto E race before, those two were truly spectacular if you can probably so, my
1: commentary that is so of
2: course yeah <laughs> i closet. don't talk too much until the end so don't worry about that um but yeah and also go and check out nico's stuff as well of course on his youtube channel and his podcast and all of that stuff if you have made it this far thank you very much for tuning in hope you enjoyed it let us know feedback is king yeah.